Now listen, all the stories contained within here are retold as they were originally recounted and may not be suitable for youngins or those with a sensitive disposition. Listen to discretion is advised, y'all. Well, evening, y'all. I sure have missed every single one of you, and I am mighty glad to be back with y'all. I hope everybody's itching to hear some new hate tales as much as I am to tell them, so why don't we just get to it now, shall we? I promised y'all we were going to have double stories for the month of October, and I am ever a woman of my word. So y'all sit back, close your eyes, and relax, because it's time for some Southern hate stories. Hallelujah. The Reverend Belskito was back home. It'd been a month since the Reverend had received his daughter's letter telling him of his beloved wife's illness. Thankfully, Bill's captain had been generous enough to allow the Reverend to take leave. Well, so long as he found a substitute, that is. But there was no shortage of young boys in Virginia eager to take up the southern cows, so Bill had no trouble finding a willing party. And now that he was back home in Newton, Alabama, the Reverend could focus on what mattered most to him, helping his wife get better. Now, a few days after his return home, Bill headed into Newton to pick up some supplies and look in on his church and get some medicine for his wife. And while the Reverend was over at his church catching up with some of his parishioners, one of the home guardsmen just happened to overhear Bill speaking out against the Confederacy. Well, now, I mean, it was no secret in the county that the Reverend was no supporter of slavery, but to disparage the South, why, that just could not stand. Knowing the area around Newton was just plumb full of deserters and Union spies, that guardsman ran right to his captain to report what he had just heard. Well, the captain of the home guard, he was a wily, albeit a devious man, so... He decided to formulate a plan to capture the Reverend on suspicion of desertion and treason. Now, during his walk home later that afternoon, as Bill crossed the Newton Bridge, he was ambushed by the captain and five of the home guardsmen. Well, those men beat the Reverend black and blue as they drug him down to the riverbank where they tied him up to the bed of a wagon. Poor old Bill. He begged those men to tell him why they were doing this to him. And that captain, well, he just laughed in the reverend's face as he replied that they always beat deserters before they hanged them. Well, Bill was just absolutely shocked beyond belief. He desperately tried to tell the guardsman that he was on leave, that he had papers back home to prove that he had hired a substitute, but the captain and his men wouldn't hear of it. When that old captain asked the reverend if he had any final words before he swung, Poor old Bill just bowed his head, and as one of those men placed the noose around the Reverend's neck, he began to pray for the captain and his men. Now it said in his prayer, Bill asked the Lord to forgive the men of their transgressions against him, that he knew that they were just acting out in fear, and that he held no grudges against them. It's also said that the Reverend looked out at all of the men there, and he said, If you hang me here... None of you will ever forget this spot. Well, on hearing that, most of the soldiers there started feeling mighty uncomfortable and started questioning whether or not they were doing the wrong thing. But that old captain, well, 
Bill's words only made him angry, so as the captain marched right over to the horse, hitched the wagon, and whipped it, forcing the bed out from underneath the poor condemned man's feet. Only the reverend didn't hang. No siree, cause you see, the guardsmen that hung the noose didn't realize just how tall Bill was, and when the wagon was jerked out from underneath him, that just caused the old boy's toes to hit the ground, keeping him alive. Well, I don't suppose I have to tell you that that sent the captain into a white-hot rage. So he ordered one of the guardsmen there on medical leave, poor George Eccles, to dig a hole underneath the reverend's feet right that second. Now, Eccles, not one to ever disobey a direct order, no matter how injured he was, hobbled on over and dropped to his knees and used his crutch to dig down about eight inches, till poor old Bill's feet just stopped a-twitching. Now, it's said to this day, no matter what, that hole used to hang the Reverend Bill's keto can never be filled. Folks have tried filling it with dirt and sand and gravel and trash, all sorts of things for the hole to only be swept clean and empty when they return. Heck, there's even been a few that have filled the hole up and pitched their tents right on top of it, only for the hole to be completely empty the next morning, even after having slept right on top of it. Now, some folks say that it's the ghostly feet of the reverend sweeping that hole clean each time it's filled. Others say it's the mark of the Lord's grief over the loss of a good man. Then there's others that say it's just the river washing that hole out each time it gets filled up. <laughs> it ain't for me to say either way, anyhow. And the banks of the Choctahatchee River's been changed, what with floods and a new bridge and the like over the past 156 years since Bill's death. So it ain't like you can get down to that hole anymore to find out for yourself these days. But... I will say this, on dark moonless nights in Newton, Alabama, when the wind is still and calm, some folks say if you're standing in just the right spot next to the river and you listen real close like, you can hear old Bill's feet digging at the ground with his toes and you can feel his fine struggling gasps for breath on the back of your neck. Summertime in South Carolina is just so lovely. Unless you are wearing a wool uniform, that is. That poor old Corporal Yoakum and the rest of his platoon had been out all day in the blazing heat making sure any civilians left on Farley Island were gone by sundown. And now that the sun was seeking down below the tree line, that tired, lone soldier was more than glad to be heading back to camp. Yoakum couldn't decide what he wanted more, to eat first or to watch the grime of the day off in the tidal creek. Well, as the corporal sauntered on back through the dense grove of trees, he saw a flickering light off in the distance that caught his attention. A cold sweat ran down Yoakum's back as dread crept all over his skin. Suddenly, that old boy wasn't so hot anymore. Quick as he could, the corporal crouched down behind a tree and wondered if he'd somehow ambled up on into a rebel ambush trying to take over the island. Dag nabbit, he thought. That soldier's well-done dinner and bath were just gonna have to wait. So Yoakum snuck as silent as he could towards the light, but as he got closer, Cooper realized that the light wasn't coming from any invading army. 
Why wasn't anything but a run-down old cottage Betty held together by hopes and prayers? Still, though, the corporal knew there wasn't nobody supposed to be left on the island. So if somebody was in that house, they sure didn't want to be messed with. Well, now, as the boy edged closer for a better look, he heard a rasping, chiding voice call out for him to stop pussyfooting around, else he was going to scare the child half to death. Well, if the poor corporal wasn't already confused, <laughs> he sure was now. So Yoko made his way around to the front of the cottage and saw an ancient woman sitting in a rocking chair with skin so weathered and sun-aged there was no way to tell if she was native or white or dark-skinned. Not that it mattered to him anyhow. And beside the woman's chair was hiding a small girl who peeked out at Yoko with eyes nearly as big as saucers. Well, now the young soldier greeted the gnarled woman and smiled sweetly at the shy child and told him that he'd been sent by the Union Army to make sure all civilians were escorted off the island to ships that were taking folks to the mainland for their safety. When the woman turned and smiled up at the corporal, the expression cut so deeply into her weathered face that the corporal thought that she'd crack into a million pieces right there on the porch. Well, she thanked him kindly for his warning and the offers from the army. But the woman told the corporal that she and the child would not be leaving this place. Not ever. Now, after several long minutes of trying to convince the woman to leave, Yoakum finally asked her plainly, but as politely as he could, why she was refusing to go. Well, the woman simply pointed at the chair beside her with a well-worn palsied hand and told the corporal to have a seat if he really wanted to know. Because, you see, the woman told the soldier as he was sitting in the chair that she'd been born on Farley Island and she used to play as a child in the very spot they were sitting. And as the relic of the old woman started to prattle on about her youth, Yogan started to wonder if he'd fall asleep right there if she didn't get to the point quick enough. But just as that boy's eyes started to droop, the woman began to speak of a most terrifying night when she watched a group of pirates bury their treasure just under the very oak trees that were standing out there in front of them. Well, let me tell you, the corporal was up there, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. He leaned forward and listened to the woman as she talked about being out one night well past dark playing with her brothers and sisters. And while she was hiding way up in the limbs of one of them twin oak trees, the woman, well, then young girl, saw the group of men in longboats coming ashore with six big old chests that took four men each to carry them. And the men scurried into the tree line with their cargo where they discovered the twin oak trees standing side by side. The woman said she'd never been so scared in all her living life as when she realized them men standing under her was pirates. The woman closed her eyes, remembering that dreadful night as the corporal and the small girl sat stock still beside her, enthralled in her ancient tale. Well, she told the two about how the pirates dug down deep into the ground between them twin oaks and put them six big old chests in the hole. And then all the men stood in a circle with one of them just pacing around in the middle. And the woman said she couldn't really remember nowadays what happened in those long, silent moments while she sat in the limbs above the ring of the pirates, but she could clearly remember the piercing crack of that flintlock as it tore the silence apart. The woman choked on a sob as she spoke of having to bite down hard on her hand to keep from screaming as she watched one of the men closest to the hole stagger back and fall into a heap on top of the chests. 
The rest of the men then filled the hole in with dirt and left as silently as they came. Well, the woman, then young girl, knew right then, as she climbed down out of that tree and stood next to a freshly dug grave, that she could never let anyone disturb that spot for fear an angry spirit of a dead pirate would do folks harm. So from that day forward, the woman kept a close watch on those twin old trees and even built her home next to them so she could make sure the secret of the ghost pirate and his treasure would stay forever hidden. Now you could have knocked the corporal over with a light breeze, as you could well imagine. You could hardly believe he was sitting just a few yards away from a pirate's buried treasure. And he was also completely confounded that the woman had been able to resist digging up the treasure for herself. But if she truly believed a pirate's angry spirit was guarding the treasure, well, it was no wonder she would left it alone all these years. Well, the corporal thanked the woman for sharing her story with him, and he promised to keep her secret safe. He continued to talk with her well into the evening until the soldier convinced the woman to leave the next day for the safety of the child and herself. And as the corporal stood to leave, he said his goodbyes to the both of them and he promised he'd return to help them both to the mainland safely. Now, it hardly took no time at all till Yoakum was back at the Union camp since he ran the whole way. That old boy was so excited, he was about fit to burst as his mind raised. Oh, the corporal would make sure that the woman and the small child made it safely to the mainland, yes, sir, but he never did promise that woman he wouldn't look for the treasure himself. Yoakum charged through that camp like a bull, and he busted headlong into Lieutenant Hatch's tent and spilled his guts about everything he'd heard that night. Well, it was dead calm and moonless the next night when Corporal Yoakum and Lieutenant Hatcher made their way back to that run-down old cottage. It took a bit of convincing and a whole lot of haggling to finally get Yoakum's lieutenant to agree to come with him, but the corporal knew if there's anybody he could count on to help him search for a lost pirate treasure, it was old Hatch. The two soldiers talked about their intentions for the recovered bounty as they trudged through the woods. They both planned to hire out their conscriptions to substitutes and leave the war far behind them. Yoakum planned to head overseas to Prussia to start his own steel mine, and Hatcher wanted to head out west to Oregon to try his hand at the shipping trade. Well, soon enough, those old boys found themselves standing between them twin oak trees the old woman spoke of under the cover of darkness with their shovels at the ready. Yoakum and Hatcher started frantically digging like dogs, pitching sand and dirt everywhere till they was out of breath, and even then they just kept on going. Eventually, the hole kept getting deeper and deeper to the point where those old boys had to stand inside just to keep on going. It was just then, out of nowhere, a fierce and hurricane like wind kicked up all around that rundown cottage and whipped through the surrounding trees with a force so great that the limbs and them twin oak trees nearly bent down to the ground and sand violently whipped through the air, pelting them soldiers till their skin was raw and caused them to have to cover their faces so they could keep on digging. Well, as the wind continued to tear at the men, all of a sudden bright white bolts lit the night sky like lightning, but there was no thunder to accompany the flashes. Now just as Hatcher started to wonder if maybe they should abandon their hunt for another time with less hostile conditions, Yoakum grabbed the lieutenant by the arm with a look of horror in his eyes. Hatcher slowly turned to look over his shoulder just as another flash lit the sky bright like broad day to see a tall, hulking stranger with a rusted saber in his hand standing on the edge of the hole leering down at him. The stranger looked as if he were both living and dead all at once. 
The skin and sinew had peeled from the stranger's bones and great ribbons over some portions of his body while other areas looked whole and healthy. His jaw hung loosely on one side of his face where the bone apparently had been entirely destroyed along with his cheek and eye. Both Yoakum and Hatcher could see the tendons work to grip the saber tighter as the stranger flexed his skeletal hand around the hilt. A low guttural growl slipped through the stranger's hollow chest and up and out of his shredded throat to join with the howling wind. What was left of his mouth drew up in a sneer as the stranger's remaining eye shined like a bright flame set inside its socket. Both men jerked back from the edge of the hole away from the stranger as he dropped down inside to meet him. The fetid smell of brackish rot and decay filled the men's nostrils and would have caused them both to choke had they not been paralyzed with fear. Neither man had thought to bring any weapons with him on a treasure hunt and could only meekly hold their shovels out in front of them in defense. The stranger's predatory growl grew louder as he inched closer to the terrified men, drawing the blade of his rusted saber above his head in a wide arc. And just as the stranger began to slice the air to end the two grave robbers, <laughs> both Yoakum and Hatcher found what little good sense the Lord gave them and scrambled up out of that hole like their pants was on fire and their asses was catching. <laughs> now... Both boys ran back to that camp with a speed brought on only by terror and near death. And when they finally collapsed into Lieutenant Hatch's tent, it was a good long while till either one of them could speak. The soldiers confirmed with one another that neither one was crazy, that they had indeed just narrowly escaped being disemboweled by a spectral pirate while trying to dig up buried treasure. Well, the two men did talk late into the night about whether or not it was worth trying to retrieve the treasure again, but in the end they agreed any ghost who could wield weapons was far too great a foe to defeat. They decided that it was best to leave well enough alone and be thankful that they had been lucky enough to escape with their lives. Before the corporal left Hatch's tent, the lieutenant made Yoakum swear that he would never speak of what happened that night so long as they lived. And the young soldier smiled at the lieutenant and said that was a promise he could easily and gladly keep. Well now, fifty years and an entire lifetime later, Corporal Yoakum found himself sitting in a veterans reunion over in Denver, Colorado, listening to some of his fellow soldiers recount the glory days of the Civil War. Only, Yoakum didn't think any of them days was glorious. For him, the war was hell on earth, and he'd seen the demons to prove it. Well, just three days after that terrifying night under the Twin Oaks, poor old Lieutenant Hatch had been killed in a failed run on the Rebel Rifle Pits in Fort Wagner. But Corporal Yoakum, well, he'd made it through, and it took a good many years of his life to get over the shell shock of it and overcome the horrors that followed him home from the war. No, those days weren't glorious in any way, but the Corporal knew and understood that with enough time and liquor, any memory could be tinted rosy and bright. Now, Yoakum had been told when he arrived at the reunion that there was a young reporter there by the name of Francis Moore who was looking to write stories about any peculiar or unusual circumstances that the veterans might have found themselves in during the war. So the old soldier found himself a table in the corner and sat for a very good long while as he rolled around his promise to the lieutenant in his mind while he decided what old Hatch would have to say about that night all these years later if he was still here.
And just as the young reporter walked past Yoakum to leave, the corporal called out to him, Son, just wait a minute. <sighs> well, now if you ask me, some things are just better off staying buried, but... Well... It was the summer of 1863 on Farley Island in South Carolina. Do you know how hot it gets in the summertime in South Carolina when you're wearing a wool uniform, son? Hey y'all, I just wanted to say welcome and thank y'all for stopping by. I'm Miss Dahlia and this is Southern Hate Stories. This channel's a home for all the American Southern legends that I've gathered over the years that I want to share with you kind folks. But if you'd rather listen to my stories while y'all are stuck in traffic or doing a little workout, well, that's just fine by me. Won't y'all head on over to that old podcast player of yours and search for Southern Hate Stories there, or you can find all my tales at anchor.fm forward slash southern hate stories by the way do you happen to have a local or regional hate story you want to share i'm always looking for southern tales to entertain y'all with so if you're willing won't you write me at dlewmcavoy at gmail.com and let me know all about the ghosties in your garden maybe we can find a place for your story here on the channel sometime and you know, I'd love to know what you think of Southern Hate Stories, so won't you leave a comment or review so y'all can help me build this into something we can all love and enjoy together. And while y'all are over that way, make sure you take a gander at the description of the channel's homepage and visit all the lovely individuals who help make Southern Hate Stories possible. But mostly, I just want to thank y'all so very, very much for coming over and listening. I can't tell y'all how much it means to this old black soul of mine to share all these wonderful stories I grew up listening to with you kind people. Now go on and have a lovely day, you hear? But you better make sure you mosey on back over here in two weeks for another hate story to creep up under y'all's skin.